Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1032 of the Juicebox podcast. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Liberty. She has type 1 diabetes. She also has an interesting story about her husband, who passed away just prior to us recording this episode. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're looking for Dexcom, you're looking for Dexcom.com forward slash Juicebox. If you'd like to get yourself an Omnipod, Omnipod.com forward slash Juicebox. To save 40% off your entire order at CozyEarth.com, just use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. And of course, five free travel packs and a year supply of vitamin D is what you get with your first order at DrinkAG1.com forward slash JUICEBOX. If you're looking for community around diabetes, I hope you check out Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. It is a completely free but private group that has over 42,000 members. Today's episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter. ContourNext.com forward slash juice box. Get the same terrific meter that my daughter uses. It's accurate and lovely. And after you see it, you're going to ask yourself, why did I wait so long? ContourNext.com forward slash juice box. The podcast is also sponsored today by BetterHelp. You can save 10% off your first month of therapy with my link betterhelp.com forward slash juice box. It's time to take care of yourself. Get better help. My name is Liberty. I've been a type one diabetic since I was 14 years old back in 1989. So that was 33 years ago. I don't want to have to make you do math. Scott, I know how bad you are at it. <laughs> That's unfair. Are you 45? It's okay. No, I oh. wish. Oh, wait. You're a couple of, you're, you're a couple of years off. But I'm not going to tell you which way. All right, that's fine. I think you're older. I was trying to do the math because I knew when I graduated. So anyway, it's not the point. You had yeah, diabetes. No, I'm 47, but there, there's the answer. But anyway, uh, yeah. So I've had diabetes for 33 years. My, uh, I, I actually grew up with it in my house because my mom was diagnosed with it when she was pregnant with me. Unfortunately, she was misdiagnosed and didn't find out it was type one until maybe 10 years ago, <laughs> but she took care of it like it was type one. So I've been around the needles and the insulin my whole life. Did they tell your mom originally she was gestational? Uh, yes, they did. And then she went into a coma six months later, passed out for three days. Uh, she was in the hospital in a coma for three days. And after that, they told her she was type two. Oh, she was only yeah, she was only 30 years old at the time. As you heard earlier, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Contour Next Gen blood glucose meter. But when you get a Contour meter, what you're really getting is their test strips. Contour Next test strips feature remarkable accuracy as part of the Contour Next blood glucose monitoring system. They're the number one branded over-the-counter test strips. And they, of course, have second chance sampling. Second chance sampling can help you to avoid wasted strips. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. 
Near the top of the page, you'll see a Buy Now button. It's bright yellow. When you click on that, you'll get eight options of places online to buy contour meters and test strips. Walmart.com, Amazon, Walgreens, CVS Pharmacy, Meyer, Kroger, Target, Rite Aid. These are all links you'll find at my link. Linkity link. Links but a link, blink, blink, link. I'm just kidding. Head over there. Now, won't you please? Listen, the contour meters are incredibly accurate. They are simple to use. They are easy to hold, easy to read, and they have a bright light for nighttime testing. Part of me wants to say that the second chance sampling is the biggest deal, but honestly, it's the accuracy. These meters are accurate. And I know a lot of people like to think, well, I have a CGM. I don't need a meter. You do. You need a meter. You need to be accurate. You deserve it to be accurate. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Take a look at the Contour Next Gen and the other meters available from Contour. When you use my links, you're supporting the production of the show and helping to keep it free and plentiful. And so she lived with a type 2 diagnosis but used insulin? Yep. Yeah, you wouldn't believe how hard it was for her to get the type 1 diagnosis too. Because I kept telling her, because I'm like, Mom, you know, you got it when you were 30. You know, it's so common for people to get it when they're pregnant just because of the stress on the body. Mm-hmm. You know, and she wasn't like, you know, her diet wasn't bad. She wasn't overweight or, you know, there was no really reason why she should have been type 2. And just the way it came on was so sudden. And so I told her to tell her doctor to get tested. And he wouldn't do it. He said I was playing Dr. Google. Oh. I think doctors get I think doctors get nervous that we can actually be decent doctors with Google now. (laughs) But she she put her foot down. She was a strong woman and she put her foot down and got the the uh test done and the doctor had to eat his words. Mm. So she came out with the antibodies. Yeah. What did you give her? C peptide test? Yeah, something like that. He gave her the test and it came back that she had the antibodies and she wasn't making insulin and yeah, basically she was type one diabetic. And that was just recently yeah. that she got that ten years. No, no, that that was about ten years ago. But you know, it's uh, what's funny is her brother got diagnosed correctly with type one diabetes when he was fifty, hmm. and I had it, and they still didn't think she had it. Yeah, that just sounds like hardheadedness. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So- but anyway, we're we're here to talk about my husband, my yeah. well, my late husband. He was also type one diabetic he uh was also diagnosed yeah i've got a lot of good diabetes stories hold on liberty hold on let me let me let me walk you through it let's take our time okay Okay. yeah all right so you're 14 when you're diagnosed and you meet your you meet your husband when how old were you when you met i was 30 years old or 32 32 when we met at work yeah okay so you had had diabetes almost 20 years when you met him oh yeah okay how would you say that those first 20 years went for you? Not good. <laughs> yeah, I was really uh, against the diabetes diagnosis. I did not accept it. I even went for a period where I didn't see a doctor for seven years. I would get all of my insulin over the counter. I would get regular an MPH and just take it how they told me how to take it. And I didn't even check my blood sugar or anything through that whole time, I don't think, and just went by how I felt. Yeah, it's amazing I'm not as messed up as, you know. You could be. <laughs> you know, yeah, I could be, yeah. yeah. I, I am, uh, as I going to say, I want the, the newer, new, more newer diagnosed people listening, do you think they just heard that you used to be able to buy insulin over the counter and they were probably freaked out? What was it, like $20 a vial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 25 
Yeah. $25 for my N, $25 for my R. You know, the uh, insulin syringes, I just reuse them. I was going to say, what did you do for syringes? Because you needed, back then, you needed the script for the yeah. syringe, but not for the insulin, right? No, I never needed a script for anything. No? The, uh, but I had a big old box of syringes that I would make last anyway. But uh, the if I would show them I had insulin, and I took it, and they would give me the syringes. Hmm. But I grew up in a small town, too, so. Yeah, okay. You said you were, I guess, what do you mean by you were ignoring the diagnosis? Is that like a psychological thing? Like you just didn't want it to be true? or I didn't want it. Yeah, I didn't want to be different. So I just wanted to think about diabetes like twice a day when I take insulin and that's it. And then just live my life okay. like and, I didn't have it. And and somehow going to a physician would have would have been you agreeing that you had it? No, when I was first diagnosed, I was, my mother had me go to this primary care physician. She was a general practitioner, mm -hmm. what she wasn't at endo or anything like that. And uh, when my blood sugars were all off the charts and all over the place, and I was having problems managing it, she would reprimand me. She would tell me that I'm not going to be able to have kids, that I'm going to lose a leg, you know, all the gloom and doom stuff that they always tell you. So I didn't even want to hear it. So it got me to the point where I didn't even want to go to the doctor because that's what I thought what I was that, that I was going to hear. I see. I see. You know, and I just didn't want to deal with it. So were there any junctures where you got an A1C done or anything like blood work or you just no? No, the first day you want to see I got done actually I did go on the Medtronic pump back in 2000, the uh, 506, I want to say. Mm -hmm. And then at work, I changed jobs and uh, I went union and the union insurance, surprisingly, was worse. So they didn't cover an insulin pump back then. So I actually, part of that reason where I didn't go to the doctor was I got pissed off at the insurance companies and the doctors. And I was like, you know, I was young and stupid. So, and I was like, well, you know, if they want me to die, then so be it. I'm just not going to look after it then. You know, this is ridiculous. They don't want to pay for the stuff I need. Yeah. You know, I just got mad and, and stupid about it. Uh, I got my A1C down to seven back then when I was on the Medtronic, Medtronic pump for the first time. The only time I ended up going back to the doctor was when I was with my husband the first year and we wanted to have kids and I couldn't get pregnant. So I went back to the doctor and he says, well, you got to get your blood sugars under control in order to conceive. So you're just going to have to, you know, deal with it. And by then I was older and more willing. And that's what started my journey to uh, better health. Cool. Do you have any other autoimmune diseases? Yes, I have Hashimoto's. Do you have ADHD? I might. <laughs> I already, by the but way. I've never, I've I've never been diagnosed with it. <laughs> I already wrote down thyroid and ADHD. I was I was building my own list of what I thought you might have while you were chatting. <laughs> my daughter was actually just diagnosed with it. And I even told the therapist, I said, I might have it, but I've never been diagnosed with it. And I know it's hard for them to diagnose adults. So mm -hmm. I just deal with it. Yeah. So. <laughs> What's your um like lineage? What's your background? I uh, am mostly German, English, a little bit of Swedish, not not much, mm -hmm. but it's mostly German. My, uh, my, in fact, my grandparents came over from the uh, homeland, so okay. I'm like third generation. Gotcha. And so, obviously, you were able to get things together. You just said you have a daughter. How many kids do you have? Just the one. One. How old is she? Yep. 
She's uh, going to be 13 in May. Oh, that's a great age. Okay, so I guess now that I feel like I understand your background a little bit, we'll move on to why you wanted to come on the podcast. Okay. So I'm so sorry. Like, already I feel badly. But you reached out to me. Let everyone remember that while they're listening. That while Liberty's talking, she asked to be on the podcast. Right, Liberty? That That's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, well... I, you know, people should know about this aspect. You know, it's yeah. it's hard. This stuff happens, you know, yeah. and it's it's just something you need to know if you're going to, you know, you, you need to know this stuff to live with this disease. Mm-hmm. So you're at work one day, you meet this guy, mm-hmm. you start having a relationship. How long did you date? Uh, we dated about a year. And he had... It was a quick relationship. He yeah, had... He, uh, had, he told me he had type 2 diabetes. He was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. He was in the army. He was a paratrooper. Okay. How old were you uh, when you guys met? How old were you? I was uh, 32. How about him? He was 39. I had you pegged as being with an older guy. I don't know why. That's perfect. Oh, no. Yeah, he he was 39. He was older. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm just saying I'm, I'm... impressed with my ah. my deduction that's all. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right this is not right. about you liberty i'm telling you, you that you i'm know, you can put your crystal ball away Scott. okay <laughs> you'll just tell me uh so you guys yeah, i'll just tell you you meet you dated for a year you got married uh yeah what year did you get married we got married in 2008 okay so at the moment uh you meet him he says he has type 2 diabetes did he figure out he didn't have type 2 or did you figure it out no, that was me. See, he was on uh, metformin. He wasn't even on insulin when I met him. And the uh, doctors were putting him on all these different drugs. I had no clue that he had type 1 at first, mm-hmm. just because the meds seemed to be kind of working for him. You know, he was try- they put him on glipizide. They put him on all these different drugs to try to. And then most of the doctors thought he was noncompliant, which I could see why, because he was kind of pigheaded and he was noncompliant for the most part. But there was one time where he was really wanting to get his stuff under control. So we went on the keto diet. I even went on it with him. We went on the keto diet because I'd read it was really good for type twos. Mm-hmm. We were on that diet for two years and he actually got his blood sugar to kind of normal levels. And so we thought it was working. And then all of a sudden it just stopped working. We switched endos because then I started getting suspicious. I'm like, maybe they should check you for uh, type one. Yeah. And all this time he would, they would suggest that he go on insulin to help bring the sugars down, but he would refuse. So he was going all this time. I think we were about, uh, seven or eight years into our marriage when he finally got the correct diagnosis and got put on insulin. But by then it was kind of late. He already had started having issues with neuropathy and his feet and, uh, or neuropathy and he got retinopathy in his eyes as well. How long before you met him? Did he think he was type two? Do you know? Uh, he was diagnosed with it in the army. The, uh, TRICARE diagnosed him. Is that right around the time you met or was that prior? No, it was about a year or two before we met. All right. So, the, the so possi- he, yeah, he was he was walking he was walking around with us for a long time. Yeah, and so th- it, rough math, he had type one. He had probably Lada, right? Like yeah, Lada yeah. for sure, yeah. for sure, because it came on super slow. It right. had to have been. That's why I was never, uh, you know, suspicious of him having type one. But they did test him, and he did you know, have the antibodies and it does run in his family. It runs in his family more than it does in mine. He's got so many people in his family have type one. It's insane. Mm. 
So he was Lada being treated like a type two for almost a decade. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. And by the time you start, you figure out that he's type one, he's already seeing issues with his eyes and his circulation. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think he'd already had a couple toes amputated too. Wow. So what was it like with you having type one, watching him have problems, but not thinking he was a type one? Did that have any impact on you and how you took care of yourself? Oh, yeah. That's why I did all that research on how to, because, well, on me, take, I taking care of myself, that, when I had my daughter, that switched me around. I, that flipped a switch in my head and changed the whole way I thought I took up, started taking up running. Well, I actually, first of all, after I had her, it was a very easy but difficult pregnancy in the fact that I already have complications from that stint where I wasn't taking care of myself. Like, I have uh, stage two well, at the time I had stage two kidney disease, it's gone to stage three, hmm. but uh, I also had retinopathy and high blood pressure. But when I was pregnant with her, it was super high risk. In fact, when after she was born, the doctor had told me that out of all of his high risk patients, I was the most high risk out of all his patients. And he and my endo, they told me that I should not have any more kids because I am really lucky that it turned out the way it did because it really did a number on my kidneys. And it actually pushed me into stage three kidney disease, the pregnancy, even though I kept my A1C at 5.5. And also it caused my retinopathy to go from uh, mild to moderately severe towards the end of the pregnancy to the point where I started to go blind. And I was blind. Yeah, I was blind for three months. I had to get a vitrectomy in one eye. And then a, a year later, I got a vitrectomy in the other eye. And haven't had any issues with it. Since and the last uh, retinopathy appointment I had was uh, there was no retinopathy at all in my eyes anymore. Hmm. I completely went away. <laughs> so for th- for three months during this is during your marriage. Yeah, yeah, this was during my marriage. My daughter was only fourteen months old. I didn't even get to see her first steps. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and so your husband's kind of taking care of both of you at that point. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Is there ever any conversation between the two of you? After he realizes he's type one, like, I I can't imagine that there's not a moment where you don't feel a sense of, like, dismay that it didn't get figured out sooner. Yes, I felt like that all the time. Yeah, even when I thought he was type two, I was always trying to help him to help him fix it. That's why I did all that research. We went on the keto diet. Yeah. And then when he was diagnosed with type one, I say, okay, we got this. I'm like, I've got this figured out now. You know, I my A1C consistently at six, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. the whole time, the rest of the time we were in the, in the marriage. I got him books, told him to read some stuff, you know, asked him if he wanted to try insulin pumps. We tried the T-Slim at one point, but that was a disaster. Why? Why, why, was, a, why was a pump a disaster? I think the settings might have been wrong for him. I don't know because he kept getting these really crazy lows from it. And he would have insulin on board to the point where we had to actually call the paramedics to resuscitate him one time. And so he didn't want to be on the pump anymore because he figured that that's what was causing it. And there's no, no thought about just changing the settings? No, he wasn't the type where he, if he, if something wasn't working, he was done with it. Okay. Very stubborn. Yeah. How about you with your sense of, like, did you have a sense of loss that you, that it took you as much time as it did to want to do better? In some ways I do, but I don't 
at the same time, because I learned a lot of things in that time where I was uh, ignoring it. Like if I were ever to be in a situation where, you know, the shit would go down, you know, Mm -hmm. I know how to take care of myself and survive without having to rely on the normal paths. And would it be, is it fair to, I'm asking because I don't know, but Mm -hmm. also it's a decision you made. Like, is it easier to accept because it was a decision you made versus with him, it was just a misdiagnosis? Or does that not come into play? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm not really sure what you're getting at there. Well, but you decide, I mean, you said to yourself, I'm going to ignore my diabetes. I'm going to do the bare minimum of what I need to do. I'm not going to a doctor. I'm like not doing those things because I don't want to think about it. At least you just like, even if it's not ends up, if it doesn't end up being a good decision, at least it was, at least it was a choice. Right. Like he didn't, he didn't have a choice to be misdiagnosed, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. But I don't know if that makes a difference in how you feel once you start using hindsight to look back at your situation. Yeah, I'm not sure. I kind of, I, I kind of try not to look at that as a, as you know, as anything I, to regret in my life. Though that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. So that's an so, added. Then that's your. I can't really explain that to you. And then with him, I, you know, we it, we would have to ask him. Right. And we can't. can't so. So once the retinopathy starts for him and the and the circulation stuff, do things just keep going wrong from there? Or does it? Yes, it does. Yes, he actually got blind in his left eye, mm-hmm. and they did the vitrectomy on him, and it didn't work. Okay. He lost. He completely lost his sight. Now, you know, when the retinopathy, usually you can still see. You can still see the light. You just can't see because there's all this blood in your eyes. You can't see through it. It's like a really super dirty windshield. Okay. When you ha- when you go front blind from retinopathy. Now he had the same thing, but after he had the surgery, it didn't work. I think because they had to put a gas bubble in there. And when you put a gas bubble in there, you have to walk around for two weeks with your head down. You have to sleep on your stomach. But he didn't do that. He wasn't very compliant with that. And I don't know if that messed up the surgery and, and made it so he was completely blind where he can't even see light. He told me he could look right up at the sun with that eye and it wouldn't do anything. Hmm. Oh, gosh. I get not wanting to look down for two weeks, but what do you think about him kept him from being able to say, all right, well, I'm just going to do this if it's going to help? The stubbornness. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I wish I knew the answer to that because then it might have been easier for me to to fix yeah. the problem with him. Because I, I, you know, I I would just try everything to get him to be more compliant, Did and it, uh, it just didn't seem. It seemed like he'd just kind of given up. Like he didn't believe that he could get better. Like maybe he was too far gone. I see. And and but you felt. Do you feel responsible for him? Like you needed to figure it out. No, no, I feel, I just try to help him. And, you know, there's only so much you can do, you know, you yeah. can't control the people. How does the medical situation and his lack of desire to, to help himself, like, how does that impact your personal relationship? It actually did make it worse. Yeah, because we had a better relationship at the beginning. And yeah, the last two years before he passed away were really, really hard because it just was a downward spiral. His personality was all messed up because his blood sugar was always high. Mm -hmm. God, Scott, the last A1C that he took when he was uh, 
going to the doctors like every week. He kind of, he really gave up then. He had his, his A1C was like 15. Hmm. Jeez. So he's not taking yeah. insulin or was he just doing basal insulin? I don't, I, I think he might've towards the end, the last couple of months might've stopped taking his insulin. Was he trying to die? I think so. Cause he would, he would talk about it. He was in so much pain cause he had the neuropathy, right? Yeah. And then he started getting these ulcers in his feet that wouldn't heal. Mm-hmm. And the doctors kept telling him, and I kept telling him that the reason they're not healing is because his blood sugar is so high and the blood just can't flow. It's, it's like syrup. Sure. You know, so the, the, in, the infection just sits there. He would just get in more and more pain. And then it came out the last year. It was harder for him to get pain meds. We started using marijuana to help him with the pain, you know, because it's legal. I live in Nevada, so Mm -hmm. it's legal here. And that helped for a little while, but he didn't like how it made him feel. Um, So he would just sit there and deal with the pain. And he would literally sit in the bedroom and just scream. The pain was so bad. And at first, I would try to do stuff to help comfort him and but nothing would help. And all I could do was just sit there and listen to it. And, uh, yeah, it got to the point where it was so bad for him, he would start talking about suicide. Mm. Did he describe the pain in his feet? Is it burning? Like, what? how did he put words to it? He drew a picture of it once. You know, we used to paint our, 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 my my Omnipods. I used to paint Mm -hmm. the Omnipods. And he was kind of an artist. So he would um, paint them with me. And he did one where it was kind of fiery and orange and black. He called it my pain. He's like, this is what it feels like, my pain. Here, the way he, he would draw it out. And um, yeah, it was kind of a dark painting that he drew. Cons- it consistent had, throughout it, I, the day? Or did I it think come it and was. Go? What's that? Was the pain consistent or did it come and go? It came and go. It came and went. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it would come and go faster together yeah. towards the end. And he's, so he was, he was more in pain than he was not towards the end. Blind as well at that point. Yeah. Just the one eye. Yeah. He, he eye. could see through, through his right eye. Could he walk? Just barely. He w- he would walk around. The doctors didn't want him to walk around. I would usually put him in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. He would insist on walking around. Cause I think it made him feel like less of a man. To be helpless like that. I see. Because, yeah, he wasn't able to work. He lost his job, and then he tried to get other jobs. And, you know, he just couldn't find work because he was basically disabled. And we had just started the process to get him put on disability about a year before he passed. The same impacts that are affecting his feet, did they affect anything else? I'm thinking specifically like sexual function, like. Yes, he had ED. Mm. Yeah, he had ED. That was like the first thing that showed up actually. Really? Was Be- the ED. Before the yes. other stuff. Be- before the other stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he was, he wasn't comfortable going to the doctor about that. So hmm. we had had that discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, what's it like to, what's it like to know what's, best for a person and have them not respond to that. Oh, Scott, it's so frustrating. Yeah. It's so frustrating. I mean, does it feel like you're 
I don't, I don't know. Like what did it, did it make you feel like you were failing him or did it make it feel like he was hurting himself on purpose or do you know what I mean? Both. Yeah. Give me a, a sense of time. You meet at your job and get married a year later and then the erectile dysfunction happens. What's the span of time between getting married and the dysfunction? The dysfunction happened about the time that, uh, well, it started happening around the time we were trying to have the baby, our daughter. And after she was born, you know, I wasn't really interested in sex anyway. And then right about the time we started trying to get physically active again, it became like impossible. You know, we there, there was nothing that we could do to, you know, make it feasible yeah. to have actual sex. That was about uh, when she was around one or two, I think, okay. after I'd gotten healed up from the uh, the eye thing. So how long is that since you met him? About four years. Four years. Okay. That's what I was. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you guys are together for about four years. You go from dating and married to having a baby and him seeing his first signs of problems. Right. And those things. Okay. How... Uh, and then you, it happened quickly. So it was the ED, then the, then the, then he started having the issues with the feet, and neuropathy. he got the the toe amputations. That was pretty quick after that. After the, and ED. then it kind of got slow. It got slow after that. He would be in the hospital maybe once a year for the infections, and then there was one time where he got a really bad one where it does. They had to go in and remove his metatarsal and basically reshape his whole foot because it was so messed up in there. They were going to take his leg that time. And he was adamant about them not, you know, do not take my legs. He's like, has that happened to his father? His father was the same way. He had type 2 diabetes, though, and he lost his legs because he wouldn't take care of himself. So I think a lot of it comes from him being a lot like his dad. Yeah, I have to say, like, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not being flippant, right? But, and this is going to sound like I'm trying to be lighthearted. No, you but, can but totally, okay. you, but you, yeah, it, my, hard, it takes a lot to get me offended. So don't worry about it. Liberty, what I'm trying to say is that I don't, I can't imagine what I wouldn't do if my dick stopped working. And I'm trying to figure out why that didn't snap him into taking better care of his diabetes. Yeah, I have no idea because it bothered him. Yeah. It did. Well, I bet it did. It bothered, it, it bothered him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And. He got to the point where he started thinking about going to the urologist, but it was kind of too late. And I kept telling him, like, he's like, well, I'm going to go to the dick doctor. That's what he called it, the dick doctor. I'm going to go to the dick doctor now. And I'm like, well, don't you think you should get your diabetes under control first? Because I don't think the dick doctor is going to be able to do anything for you because you're all messed up from the diabetes. I mean, that's a big cause of ED. Yeah. And he he wouldn't hear. Oh no! I'll just go to the dick doctor and get this fixed. That's all I care about is the dick doctor thing. I don't I don't know what his thinking was. It was completely illogical. How high do you think his blood sugars were then? <laughs> probably run. He was probably walking around with four, three, four hundreds all the so time. So maybe do you think that was it? Like he just couldn't think straight. Yes, yes, because uh, yeah, his personality changed. He was very negative. He started to become very negative very grumpy. Uh, my daughter and I had to walk around glass around him. I mean, we, we were actually talking about separating because he right was so he passed away. Yeah. yeah. Cause I couldn't handle it anymore. I got, you know, I can put up with a lot of shit, Scott, but yeah. it's like, it got to the point where it was affecting my daughter. And, yeah. yeah. No, no I, I understand. And he, so he, has he been gone yeah. for, has he been gone for 
a long time now? How long? It's been uh, since July 5th last year. Oh, not long. No, no, it's been six months ish. All right, hold on. I'm right. I'm just pulling myself together here. It's a lot. It's a lot right. that yeah. you've been through. Um, was it? I'm gonna. Was it hard to see him pass, or was there any relief for you? I don't want to ask you that, but did it? Uh... Oh no, you can ask all that because I actually have been asked that before. Because I have friends who saw me go through it. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, my daughter and I had actually left him here about two months before he passed at the house, and I moved in with, uh, you know, it was kind of a temporary separation thing just to keep my daughter away from him for a little while while he got it together. So I moved in with her to a friend's house. She uh, saw the whole thing, all this stuff going down, and she asked me the same question after he passed. But, yes, I did feel some relief. I did. Yeah. And in some ways, my life has been a lot better the last six months. My daughter's has as well. There's a lot less stress. But I get times where I really miss the old him. Mm -hmm. You know, especially when Facebook memories come up. I just saw a picture come up from about five years ago. We went shooting in the desert together. And, uh, man, that just brought back a whole bunch of memories because he loved to go shoot. And yeah, he was in the military. He taught me how to shoot and we would always go out to the desert, you know, not even, he hated going to the shooting range. So he liked to go out in the desert. You can do that legally here in the state. Yeah. Just stuff like that just pops up randomly. When I was going through his stuff, I, I, I think about the old times and I miss him, but the last couple of years where it was really hard. I am relieved yeah, that I, it's, I it's over because, well, you know, because I, I tried so hard. I tried so hard yeah. to get him to see the light. And every once in a while, it would click. It was like he would come back from that Jekyll and Hyde state. Mr. Hyde would come back and Doc, Dr. Jekyll would be gone and he'd be that guy I knew again. And he would actually be listening to me and he'd be like, He's like, I'm so sorry the way I've been. I just really want to change this. And tomorrow we're going to, st- you know, or right now we're going to start this. And then the next day, Dr. Jekyll would be back and it would start all over again. It, it, it was a cycle. So it, it it mimics mental illness, the high blood sugars. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. It, it does. I got it. It's a shame. It does. I, I'm so just disappointed that this isn't a lighthearted story so I could make the title Dick Doctor, but that's never going to work. So, <laughs> Well, but, you know, it is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm really focused on this part of it, which is, is that you can get your blood sugar into a place where you're just not yourself. And, you know, yep. and most people who are already managing type one and are around somebody else. You know, you think about your kid like has type one and they get, you know, their mood changes with the high blood sugar, but you're there with them to be like, all right, we're going to get your blood sugar back down, blah, blah, blah. Then they turn back into themselves again. But when you're an adult and that happens and you don't have any agency over him, you can't force him to take insulin. Like, right. You can't do nope. those things, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because if he was mentally unstable, like if you could have a doctor say that he can't make his own decisions, then you could help him. But no one would do that around a blood sugar. But look, the same exact thing's happening. Like right. you, you couldn't get yeah, a no, there You was, know what I mean? You, you yeah, there's no a, way I could get anyone to sign off on that because right. he was nor he would be normal to 
other people for the most part. Yeah. Now, I was really the only one who saw it. You know, even when I was talking to his sister after he passed, she's like, because she knew I, that we were going through, he was being kind of abusive to us. And she asked me if I missed him. I'm like, no, I don't. I couldn't lie to her. And she kind of looked like she got offended by that. And I'm like, well, you don't need to get offended by that because I do miss him the way he was. But the last two years, it wasn't him. It was, I'd lost him a couple of years ago. I mean, I already mourned that loss, I think. Right. Yeah. No, it all makes sense. I appreciate you. I really appreciate you sharing this. Also, I mean, it's difficult because you, was this your first marriage? Yes. Yeah. That, so you waited a while to meet a person and then- for I mean, for this to be how it unfolds is is got to be heartbreaking in itself. I would imagine if you didn't have your daughter, it would feel almost like a waste of time. But I, I'm assuming it doesn't because of her. How hard was it? Well, you don't have anything to hold it up against because you have this a one child. But I was going to ask, like, how is what's it like growing up with a parent in such a in a medical situation like that so consistently like it has to have clouded who she is too i would imagine she's been in therapy for the past since he started going his personality changed mm -hmm. uh, i started putting her in therapy and that's another reason why we had separated ourselves from the house because the therapist had recommended it because she didn't think it was a healthy situation for her to be in because at that time he had been getting kind of uh, verbally abusive not nothing physical or anything, but some of the stuff he would tell her that he wanted to kill her, kill himself in front of her. He would say horrible things about her dog and it was getting so bad. So the therapist was like, this is a toxic situation for her. You need to get her out of there. Just lashing out at this but, point. At anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was lashing out at every little thing. I mean, she wouldn't even be doing anything and it would piss him off. So. Wow. Hmm. Nobody in his extended family tried to help? His, did he have brothers, well, sisters, or parents? Well, he, he, uh, his, his family lives, you know, you know, we're over on the West Coast. His family lives in the Midwest. Okay. So they huh. weren't around. So they didn't. The only time he got, they got a taste of him like this was he had went over to visit for a couple of weeks. And they had mentioned to me about how he had changed a little bit and how they noticed that he was a lot more angrier, less willing to, you know, get along with people while he was up there. In fact, yeah, I think they might've been a little glad that he left mm. in a well, way, you he, know, was, I don't know. I'm not for sure. Nobody told me that, but yeah. I just kind of got a feeling. Was he active duty military? Like, did he see war? Yes. He was in um, South America fighting the drug Lords. Hmm. Any of he, that? Yeah, he, any of that impact? I mean, not that it couldn't, but did you oh, see? oh, yeah, oh, yeah. it did. Yeah, he was telling me a couple of stories. They were uh, getting ready to uh, defend the place, or I'm not sure exactly what, but he laid down to get ready to, you know, put his gun and and hide behind whatever they do in the military. I don't know. And one of his supervisors said, "Hey, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lay there if I were you. I'd pick a different spot." So he picked a different spot, and when the shooting started, it went right to that spot that he was in. The, the guy saved his life. Mm. He said that really touched him. And he was also in security in the casinos down here. Okay. And he was first on the scene for – there was a, a little bombing they had at one of the casinos he was at. 
where uh, there was a love triangle. A guy had made a little bomb with nuts and bolts and screws in it and a cup and put it on a car and it blew up when the guy, you know, that he was detonated when the target grabbed the cup, you know, and uh, blew his hands off. And and my husband was like one of the first on the scene for that. So he had to see jet like that all the time. His father was pretty strict as well to the point where I finally convinced to go to a psychiatrist a few months before he died. I had been on him for months and months and months to go to the psychiatrist because I thought he needed some help. And I finally got him to go and they diagnosed him with PTSD, mostly from his childhood though, and partly from the military. Okay. So he just, so that was also that was know. also a factor that contributed to his personality disorder. Right. And and maybe I don't think the diabetes was helping it though. Yeah, I'm also trying to imagine like a layering of problems, you know, like one thing right. and then another and then another and then you see what you see at war and you see what you see at home and then you get diabetes and then it's misdiagnosed for so long and it's just it's overwhelming. Yeah, he got he pretty much got the shit end of the stick, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know. I mean, it, it's almost like if you you know, if you kept putting a if you put a weighted blanket on somebody, you could expect them to walk around with it. But when they have 10 on, you can see where they'd be like, "Look, my legs are tired. I got to I got I can't I can't hold this up anymore." And then if you can't figure out a way from underneath of it, I, I don't know how you stand back up again. Yeah, and he used to say that a lot too. Because he did have a couple of strokes there towards the end as well. He lost uh, the use of his left arm. I mean, it was a ton of things. And it was exactly like that blankets and blankets getting put on top of him to the point where he'd look at me and he says, I don't know how much longer I can go on like this. Just bad shit keeps happening to me and I don't know what to do anymore. Okay. What made you want to come tell the story? I don't know. I just want to talk about it. I uh, think that's a good part of me healing. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that are willing to talk about it like I am. Well, and it's something that, I don't know, I think it's just something that people need to hear. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hear your story because I what I imagine is that no one thinks that could happen to them. And I just, I, right. gu- I guarantee I could have went and found your husband at a point in his life, or if I would have told him this story and said, this is going to be you, that he would have said that there's no way that could happen to me. Right. You know, like nobody thinks this can happen. And, and it is a slow, like those blankets, they don't all, like somebody doesn't yell, I'm going to throw 10 weighted, weighted problems on you right now. Like the one goes on, you're like, oh, this isn't too bad. I can handle this. And the next one comes right. and you're like, oh, I can, I can handle this. And then one day, all of a sudden you're like, I'm doing great. And then the one hits you that just knocks you over and now you can't stand back up again. And that's how it's a slow, it's a slow death. You, you know what I mean? And it's so slow that you don't know it's death. And, and that's, that's what I want people to hear. Like, that's my reasoning for wanting you on the show. Is to- right, well, it's funny. It's, it's funny you say that because when he died... I wasn't expecting that at all. I figured he'd had a few, even with all the crap, you know, he had wrong with him. I figured he still had a few years. I mean, I knew he wasn't going to live a long time. Yeah, he went to the hospital. He was in DKA. I go to the emergency room. They say, oh, he's, uh, yeah, he was in DKA, but we got him stabilized. Now his organs are fine. That's the first thing I asked him. Like, well, are his organs failing? They're like, no, no, he's fine. We we got him down. 
We just need to observe him for a while, you know. And then he wakes up and he was weird. I think there was something wrong with his brain because he couldn't even talk to me anymore. Stroke, maybe? Yeah, they uh, they had him in the ICU and I never really got to talk to him before he died. It was kind of sad. They had called me and told him that he would need to go to a rehab center because they thought he might have had another stroke. Mm-hmm. Then it was literally like an hour later, the doctor called and said that he had had a heart attack and they couldn't revive him. And when she said that, I couldn't believe it because I'm like, oh, they just called me and said that we were going to put him in the rehab center and it was all fine, you know, and what the hell. (laughs) Mm. And it took me a while for it to sink in until I finally went back to the hospital and, you know, I went there to see him uh, lying there. So. Wow. Jesus. Um, I just want people to understand that it's important that you have to, right. that you have to, you have to, you it's diabetes. You don't get to ignore it. This is the end of what happens when you ignore diabetes. Yes. So, yeah. And, and there's no, there's none of, there's no magic person who ignores their diabetes and doesn't end up like this. We don't talk about it. It's not, right. you know, no, they're, they're not, there's not a Facebook group full of people talking about, I ignore diabetes and I'm fine. Like that doesn't happen. Those people are live isolated lives as they get sicker and sicker. And it's just, uh, there is even some of me that says that like, you know, I even understand that a podcast is, you know, you have, I mean, I don't love the word and I, I, I but there's some privilege to just listening to a podcast, right? You, you own a phone, you have uh internet access, you have time to listen, you can pay for headphones There are plenty of people who don't even have those things. And, and so sometimes the stories you hear are more framed from people who have this privilege already, right? So I can only have the people on who want to come on, then we kind of lose this part, this lost part of, of type one, and, and type two diabetes, the people who don't have the right support and don't have the right knowledge or get misdiagnosed or have other issues going along with it. And they just get sucked down this, this drain of despair. And that happens to more people than you think that that's sort of my, that that's what I take from being involved for this long and watching people for this long, that this stuff happens to like, this is not an uncommon story you're telling. It's just, it's just uncommon for it to be told. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I'm well, you know what? If you're if you're in that spot, you're ignoring your diabetes and this, you know, like the story kind of wakes you up, you know, it's not too late. I mean, I did the same thing. I ignored my diabetes for a long time and now I uh turned it around and yeah, I still got complications, but uh, I have them under control and they're stable. Mhm. I feel a lot better and, you know, my life is a lot better. I don't, I'm not cloudy anymore. And it's just, it's better when you take control of your life. It's just better to just turn it around. Yeah. Well, and, and it's possible. It's never too late. It's as long as you're alive, it's never too late to change your body for the better. Right. It's never too late. No. I, and there have been people on who have had, fairly significant complications and right of their blood sugars and seen some of those complications like stop or, or recede sometimes. And I'm not saying right. you can just match. I'm not saying you can let it go and then just bring it back again. Cause there are some things you're going to do damage to that. It's just, it's done now, but 
right. it, it, people need to understand, like you're, what you're describing for yourself is is years of, I mean, would you call it neglect? Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so, it was it was literally seven years. I I counted it out one time because yeah. at the time I didn't, I wasn't really ticking it off. But I look back and I remember, I remember when I stopped and when I started going to the doctor again, and it was about seven years. So it's not lost on you then that if you didn't make a change, you'd be on the same path as your husband was. Oh yeah, I'd probably be dead right now. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this is upbeat, Liberty. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You know, <laughs> bringing bringing the uh, that's me bringing the, the fun dark princess. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it just I don't know. It's it's lovely for you to to spend the time and and to describe it because again, I just I'm just going to reiterate. Like, there's everyone listening. Like you make enough wrong decisions. This is how it goes. So, and, and I don't want people to run away like crazy, like now, yell, you know, I, I don't want you to hear this and be like flipping out tonight. Cause your, your kid's blood sugar goes to one forty after dinner or something like that. Like that, these are not the same things you were describing a significant. Oh, it, yeah. It takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're and describing you really, a significant. And you really just have to not care. You have to not care. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because he, he, yeah, he literally, when it got bad, he didn't care anymore. Right. It's almost like at this point, you're trying to make a bad outcome come. Like, it's, yeah. you're, you're working, you're actually working harder to be sick than it would, might take to, to do better for yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly kind of how I felt like he was, he was doing towards the end. Yeah. Like he was just trying to make it go away for good. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I imagine. Well, Jeez, this is going to be a shorter episode because there's nowhere for us to go from here. <laughs> like we can't. <laughs> it is really exciting that you that you got got yourself together and you had all that success and you had a baby and and she sounds like she's doing well and that's all really exciting. So, do you worry about diabetes for her? Yes, I do. I actually have her and I had her in trial net when they used to do it every year. She never got the antibodies triggered, but she does have Hashimoto's. Okay. She was, yeah, she was diagnosed with that. So she does got, she has the autoimmunity thing going on. She has Hashimoto's, but she didn't have any indicators through trial net. They never saw. No, no, no they never saw anything. No. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, yeah. she's the, we've had the discussion. I told her that it's, it's, you know, it runs rampant in our family not to be surprised that she's probably not going to get it. But don't be surprised if she does and not to be scared of getting it because, you know, as I, as an example, you know, I'm an example to her and, and I say, I live with it just fine. You know, I live a good life, you know, I'm happy, you know, just it doesn't need don't to be, be scared of getting it. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a, a death sentence and, you know, lots of people live with it and you don't need to feel different. Mm -hmm. You know, well, she's. She seems cool with that. I don't think she'd be afraid of, of it, you know, if she ever got diagnosed. So, And I'd like to applaud you for getting her into therapy, too, because it's, I mean, what you're describing, it just couldn't be, it couldn't be easy to grow up with. That's all. You know, and right. for you, too, what do you do for yourself now? Um, I'm not much of a therapy type of person. I'm, I do meditate. I do yoga. I run. Um, exercise is my therapy. So, Gotcha. You were saying earlier, I just want to make sure I understood, like, uh, your husband was taking pain medication that didn't work eventually, 
He tried weed that worked for a while, but then Oh no, no, the pain medication worked. He wasn't able to get it anymore. Because because the doctor couldn't prescribe him. He had to go see a pain medication doctor. Oh, and, and he didn't it want to was do almost that. it was almost yeah, because the laws change. You remember the laws change? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so this is uh, open. Yeah, this is what happens when the laws change about the pain meds. Okay, so yeah, they're keeping the people off of it that have problems with it, but the people that actually need it, they got to jump through hoops. Okay, so this is around the opioid. Yeah. Yes. And so your husband was a person who really desperately needed it. And he, he couldn't needed get it. it. Yeah. And he couldn't get it. So he was like, screw it. I'm not going to, you know, I got, I'm already seeing enough doctors, he mm-hmm. says. And it takes me three months to get an appointment with this pain doctor. And it's like, I, I got to sit here three months with pain. I might as well just sit here with pain. Yeah. You know, he would say stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the weed cut it down, but not for long. And he didn't like being hot. Yeah. Well, he uh, yeah he said the weed cut it down, but he didn't like being hot. Yeah, he didn't like the feeling it gave me that it gave him to be high. Gotcha. But it did it did cut his pain a lot. Hmm. That's terrible. All right. I have to tell you, I have to record again in a little bit, and so I'm going to use that as an excuse to say goodbye to you. But in, in totality, I just don't <laughs> I don't know how to swing this around and take it in a different direction. I am I'm at the end of my skills right now, uh, but I <laughs> but I do really appreciate like that you took the time to talk about it. You, you I'm gonna oh, make, yeah. I'm gonna make this an after dark episode. I'm, um, but there's part of me that doesn't want to, but there's part of me that I. I I don't like that some of them are after dark episodes. I think they're just, mm-hmm. I think they're just people's lives, and I don't think they should be distinguished as like that. But I need to put them somewhere where people who are listening know that we're going to be talking about some really heady stuff. So, um, of course, well, yeah. you know, if you know, I'm, I assume that your after dark episodes mean that pretty much adults only, and and if an adult wants to share it with their kids, you know, it's always the adult's choice. Yeah to sit there listening with their kids and to discuss, you know, any questions yeah. that come up. That's the best way to bring this up to your kids. I, yeah. It's just to be there with them and let them know that they've that there's a dark side to this, but not to be scared because, uh, you know, I'm here with you to answer any questions, how we can prevent this, mm. such and such. I also think there's a component. I was talking about this in a recent episode with Erica in a, in a mental health episode, but there's a component of who you are. Like, there are some people who you could go to and say, yo, listen to this lady's story about her husband. And they'll be like, whoa, I'm going to take care of myself. And there are plenty of people who would hear it and go, oh, I guess then there's no no reason to take care of myself because this is just, like, you know what I mean? Like, people's minds jump right. into certain directions. Like, everybody's right. so black and white all the time. Like, I don't know why um, sometimes we can't hold two, two thoughts in our head at the same time that compete with each other, but realize they're both to be given consideration. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it yeah. takes a rare person to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why that is. Okay. Liberty, thank uh. you. I really appreciate <laughs> this. I appreciate you sitting in the closet and so it'll stay quiet and the whole thing. And I have to admit. Like, <laughs> Maybe that's what you can call the episode. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Something to do with the closet. I don't <laughs> I, know. I, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to figuring it, to hearing what you figured out, though. <laughs> oh, oh, a title? Well, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, the I title. That's like the most exciting part of your episodes is finding out what the title's going to be. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's <laughs> something around give, give me liberty or give me death, but it all just is so morose. I don't know what to do. So, um, <laughs> I think it's just a. I think it's just an explanation of complications. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. 
just there's no joking to be made around this. Not that I think that of the title. I don't. I don't want it to even look like I'm joking. Like you know what I mean? Because it's such a serious thing. And I mean, this poor man's life was. Uh, how old was he when he passed? He was fifty-four. Yeah, that's. Tough. He had just yeah he had just turned fifty-four. But you know what? He would have appreciated a dark, humorous title if you want to know the truth. Oh really? He had a dark humor. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, we would be listening to you in the car. We would be, he would listen to you in the car and he'd be, I like this guy. He's got a dark humor. I like him. He's, <sighs> he's you know, he doesn't care. <laughs> well, then uh, out of respect. Yeah, he, yeah, he used to love listening to you. So. Right. Well, maybe out of respect to him, we'll call it shooting cactus. How's that? <laughs> Isn't that what you're shooting at when you're out in the desert? No, no? we shoot at targets. Because <laughs> there's no cactuses here. You're thinking of Arizona. They, they don't give you a cactus in Nevada? Oh, no, there's no cat, and it's Nevada. Uh, well, no, Nef- there's no cat. Nevada? <laughs> Wait, is it Nevada? It's Nevada. It's not Nevada? It's Nevada. All right. No, it's not Nevada. It's only Nevada if you're from back east. I, well, that's where I'm from. But if you're, if you're going to, yeah, well, if you come out here, you got to say it Nevada. I got to say Nevada. Just, I'm just letting you know. People are going to know where you're from. And yeah, they're going to know you're a tourist. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I think most places hear my voice and think that guy's not from around here. But okay. Well, at well, least you throw him off a little bit. <laughs> well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to give it some give it some thought. We're going to find something that is appropriately dark and amusing for your uh, for your uh, your your husband who's passed, and uh, and give him a little something. We you said his name once in here, but did you want for me to bleep it out, or is that okay? Yeah, go ahead and bleep it out. He was kind of a private person, so. Okay. All right. Well, I certainly will. All right. Yeah. Oh, you know what? If you want to use a plant, uh, the state flower is the sagebrush. You don't shoot a sagebrush, do you? Probably do, because it's everywhere. (laughs) It's everywhere. doesn't matter what you're shooting at. I'm shooting at the target. I'm still shooting at sagebrush, because it's everywhere. Gotcha. (laughs) Maybe that'll be it then. All right. Well, thank you. Hold on one second for me. All right. Huge thanks to Liberty for coming on the show and sharing that story. I also want to thank the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Get yourself a super accurate meter. If you've ever thought about being a guest on the Juice Box Podcast, boy, are you in luck. I just opened up the calendar. It's going to be open for a little bit. Email me and we'll see if you'd be a good fit. I'll leave you with two thoughts. If you've never tried the Diabetes Pro Tip series, it's been remastered and the audio is amazing. Diabetesprotip.com, juiceboxpodcast.com, or go back in your audio app to episode 1000, where it all begins. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. The After Dark series from the Juicebox Podcast is the only place to hear the stories that no one else talks about. From smoking weed to drinking with type 1. Perspectives from both male and females about having sex with diabetes. We talk about depression, self-harm, eating disorders, mental illness, heroin addiction, use of psychedelics, living with bipolar, being a child of divorce, and honestly, so much more, I can't list them all. But you can by going to juiceboxpodcast.com, going to the top, and clicking on After Dark. There you'll see episode 807 called One Thing After Another, episode 825, California Sober. Other After Dark episodes include Unsupported, Survivor's Guilt, Space Musician, Dead Frogs. These titles 
will make you say, what is this about? And then when you listen, you'll think, that was crazy. Juiceboxpodcast.com. Find the After Dark series. It's fantastic.